Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. What a crummy weather day. We've enjoyed very, very good weather, so I guess you can't complain too much. But this is the calm before the storm. Well, actually, it's a crummy day outside. You've got wind. There's no sun. It's raining in a lot of areas. And we are on snow watch. They're still not exactly sure what's going to happen. But I think many of the meteorologists believe that our area is going to get somewhere, depending on where you live. If you live closer to the lake, you're going to get less snow. If you live farther away, you're going to get more. But they're looking at anywhere from a couple inches to maybe as many as six inches as our first major snowfall. If you want, here's a little test that I have noticed after years and years of being in the media and watching the media. If you want to see who is on the bad list for the TV program at their TV program director shop, what you do is you watch the TV news tonight, and there will be... There will be on, I predict, on all the different local channels, they will have some reporter that will be down at the city salt pile watching the salt trucks get filled up. This is, it's kind of like every year before the first snowfall, we're going to send somebody down to the city salt pile and we'll get the visuals of the salt trucks trucks being filled. If you want to know who's kind of on the naughty list um, it uh, at their particular station. It's whichever reporter gets assigned to go stand down at the city salt pile and take the films of the trucks being filled up. That's the reporter that's on their program director's naughty list. Let's see, let's see. Oh, I'm not very happy with Wagner. Wagner, I've got a great assignment for you. Down at the city salt pile, do that report. And then they will stand with the, it's, we're, we're waiting for the big storm here and here they're filling up the trucks. They're getting ready. Again, that's the test. If you want to know who's on the naughty list, just see who drew the short straw and got stuck down at the, uh, at the city salt pile tonight. Sent out a tweet about this yesterday. If you follow me on Twitter, um, it, these are some of my random thoughts during the 21 hours that I'm not on the air. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Just when you think the dump fire that is the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission could not get any worse. It does. Now, let me back up here for just a second. Crime is out of control in the city of Milwaukee. We are on pace for an all-time record number of homicides. Violent crime is through the roof, and nobody has a clue as to what to do. At this time in history, you need you need a good, solid leader for a police department. Now, Milwaukee had that in Al Morales, but unfortunately, you had some members of the Fire and Police Commission who decided to give in to the politically correct pandering of members of the city council, and what happened is they ran Morales out of town on a rail. Now, he's got a lawsuit he's going to win. He's going to get a big settlement from them, ultimately. But the bottom line is they had a great leader. They chased him off. The um, guy who's now... In charge, the acting police chief, Michael Brunson, he, he's had enough. He's retiring in, in two weeks. He's scheduled to uh, leave in actually less than two weeks on, on the 23rd of December. So at a time where you need leadership, Milwaukee does not have it. So what are they doing? They've gone through this selection process to try to pick a chief, and it's deadlocked. They can't move it along. There are three finalists 
there are six members of the Fire and Police Commission because the seventh resigned a couple months ago saying, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially this is too screwed up for me to even stay here. And the guy that resigned was the only one with any significant law enforcement experience. So right now there are six members of the Fire and Police Commission. They have had, over a course of now two weeks, two consecutive votes to try to hire a police chief. And the process has been going on since September. They've deadlocked three to three. And no, nobody can convince anybody to move. So they, they can't, they don't have a majority. So they can't hire a police chief at a time where you desperately need a police chief. Well, okay, here, here's where it gets even worse. The mayor has nominated a person to be the seventh member of the Fire and Police Commission. Now, I, her name is Amanda Avalos. She is the civic engagement director for a group called Leaders Igniting Transformation. I think it would be fair to describe her, at least in my opinion, as being extremely anti-police. These groups that she's been associated with want the cops out of schools, etc., etc., all all those things. Um, I think it's a very, very poor choice, in my opinion, but it's the mayor's choice, and uh, it, it's not like the mayor's been hitting home runs with a lot of his appointments to the Fire and Police Commission, so who knows? But in any event, here's what's going to happen. If the Common Council takes up her appointment and approves her to be the seventh member of the, of the Fire and Police Commission, she's going to be the one that has the deciding vote on the police chief. She hasn't participated in the process at all. The candidate interviews, the winnowing, all the discussions, that's been going on since September. And so it appears that the person, if she is, in fact, appointed to the Fire and Police Commission, like I said, I don't think that would be a great move, but I think that's probably going to happen. She'll get on the Fire and Police Commission despite not having interviewed one of the candidates, despite not having participated in any of the discussions, she essentially is the one that's going to get to make that ultimate decision as to who's going to try to be the leader of the Milwaukee Police Department at a time when we really, really, really need a strong leader. Um, It's just unreal that a city the size of Milwaukee could find itself in this situation. And, And part of it is through incompetence. And part of it is through dysfunction, and part of it is through elected officials who pander to certain groups, and part of it is through elected officials who I think are just completely and totally punched out. But the bottom line of all this is, if you were trying to figure out a bigger Clown Car Act way to run this hiring and selection of the new chief, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Just when you think the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission can't be any more screwed up, just when you think it can't be a more raging dumpster fire, well, they sound another alarm. Okay, when we come back, what would happen if the president were to succeed? I will explain. We will discuss. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. All right, we've had fun this week with the Wagner Christmas Wish List, sponsored by our friends at Cedar Crest Ice Cream. Here's what we've been doing all week, and today is the last day for it. If you go to our Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, what you will do is you will find every every day we've been featuring a, a different kind of holiday treat that you can make with Cedar Crest Ice Cream. We've had Tom and Jerry's. Uh, those are pretty darn good. We've had grasshoppers, um, Oreo ice cream cake dessert, a Christmas ice cream cake. And today, 
Today, it's candy cane shakes. The treat includes cedar crest ice creams, peppermint stick ice cream, hmm, little milk, peppermint extract, and candy canes and whipped cream on top. So here's what you do. You go to the Facebook page, and you have until 2 o'clock. Guess how much that treat costs. And whoever comes closest without going over wins a $60 gift certificate for Cedar Crest ice cream. So how cool is that? Today is the last day for it. I very much appreciate our partners at uh, Cedar Crest and Glad. I really also appreciate everybody participating. People have certainly gotten into the game. So go there to the Facebook page, make your guess, and hopefully you will win. All right. I have a very serious question, and that is, what if... What if Trump were to succeed? Now, now hear me out on this. Let, let's play this out. The election was held in early November. Biden-Harris received several million more votes than Trump-Pence did. Now, I understand that the elections are based on the Electoral College, not the total vote. But, but more people, millions more people voted for Biden-Harris. There is now a lawsuit that's been filed by the Attorney General of Texas. It's not going anywhere, but but it's been filed. And what the lawsuit alleges is that the results of the votes, as reported, in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, the Supreme Court should essentially nullify all those votes and declare that Donald Trump one of two things, either order a revote in those four states that Trump lost or nullify the results of the election and turn the matter over to the state legislators in those four states. And the state legislatures are controlled by Republicans with the idea that the Republicans in the state legislature legislature would then select the electors for the Electoral College and that they would pick Republicans. So despite the fact that at least on the, the raw number of votes, Joe Biden won those four states, that the court would then declare, nope, we're going to invalidate those results. We're going to let the Republican electors in these four states make the decision and essentially flip this so that Donald Trump would continue as president. That That's essentially what it's asking, either a revote or let's overturn the result of the election in those four states, including Wisconsin. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I'm just... In the real world, that's not going to happen. It would be unprecedented. There's no compelling evidence, at least in my opinion, that would justify that sort of extraordinary type of thing. So it's not going to happen. But I've been thinking about this over the course of the last couple of days. What if it did? I mean, what would be the reaction of people if, if suddenly we said, despite all these different things, and absent any evidence that there were millions of votes that were cast by dead people or things like that, we are essentially going to create a system where the courts are going to declare, reverse what appears to be the popular vote, and declare Donald Trump to be the winner or a revote. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I, I have two thoughts, and feel free to disagree. First of all, I think something like that, were it to happen, you, you want to talk about having a civil war in this country, that that would be the, the catalyst for the civil war. Secondly, 
I think it would undermine elections from now on. I, I think for all practical purposes, if we would do something like that, you might as just well throw out the idea of democracy. And the whole idea would be, okay, we're just going to we're going to use the courts to try to arrange essentially a, a coup <laughs> to decide who our, our leaders are going to be. I mean, I, see, that's that's the bottom line of all this. And I understand there are people who are thrilled that Biden won. I understand there are people who are devastated that Trump lost. But think about what these lawsuits, if these lawsuits really played out, what would this mean for this country moving forward? And I think it means we'd be in one hell of a mess. All right, 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Harvey and Cudahy. Harvey, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well. If if these lawsuits filed by the the Attorney General in Texas and joined in by 106 Republican members of Congress, if it were to succeed, what would happen to this country? If the Supreme Court would do what the Trumpeters wanted to do, you would have riots sweeping the country, which would make what we went through last summer seem like a Boy Scout jamboree. You mean that just you just think people in general would, would not accept this as a legitimate result? More than that, the activists would fire up the people, no pun intended there, to the point where the demonstrations would quickly turn into riots. Well, I because then, pardon me. No, no, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I, I mean, I think this would be. I mean, I remember Bush Gore, and, and at least in Bush, there were a lot of people that were unhappy with that, and they thought all the votes didn't get counted. But at the end of the day, I mean, the, the determination was George Bush won Florida. He had more votes than Al Gore. Now, some people weren't happy with that, but ultimately, everybody accepted it. This would be a case saying, okay, the guy that has the most votes. We're not going to acknowledge those things, and we're going to declare the other guy the winner. I'm with you, Harvey. I just don't think people would put up with it. Because then the Democrats would say it's Trump and his minions on the Supreme Court that are flipping the outcome, and they are stealing the election. Oh, absolutely. 180-degree shift. No, thanks for Absolutely. Okay, 855-616-1620. Jeff, if the president uh, succeeds, I can sum up the result with less than five words. Torches and pitchforks galore um let's see uh let's see what would happen we would be more divided as a country than ever look at what occurred during the black Lives matter movements across the country there would be a huge amount of civil unrest we would see people taking to the streets burning looting rioting causing destruction um i would be afraid i don't think there's any question about that what kind of proof would it take for you to have a do-over election in these suspect states it's out there just open your eyes sorry there's not going to be a a do-over election in the four states that Donald Trump lost. It's just just not going to happen. And by the way, the Trump campaign hasn't presented any overt evidence of of actual fraud. Now, again, as I say, I appreciate that there's you know, there's questions about better practices and things like that. But if you're talking about, like they are in Wisconsin, striking down hundreds of thousands of legitimately cast ballots, including ballots like mine and my wife, because, oh, you didn't fill out a separate form when you requested your early in-person absentee vote. I, I'm sorry. I, I, My vote counted. I want my vote to count. And I'm not with 
some of these crazy lawsuits, and yes, they are crazy. But the bigger point is, I mean, for, for people who are pushing this, this whole stop the steal stuff, don't you understand what it would do to the country? Don't you understand? Because I'm telling you, four years from now, Four years from now, when um, Nikki Haley beats Kamala Harris by similar margins, you're going to see the same thing go on. Let's throw out all these ballots. And then everybody who's arguing, hey, we should have do-over elections in states that, you know, our candidate lost, that that Harris lost. We need do-over states because those evil Republicans stole it. Think about how you're going to feel. This, If this relief were to be granted, this is how banana republics operate. And this is why, again, it's so dangerous, especially when you don't have evidence at all that you had millions and millions of illegally cast votes. I guess that's what's scary, that there's so many people out there, and it's disappointing to me that you have 106 members, Republican members of Congress, who are unwilling to stand up to the fringe element of the conservative movement and say that this whole thing isn't good for the country to try to encourage people to not believe in valid elections. I mean, you want to talk about... You want to talk about throwing this country into turmoil. You want to talk about destroying the economy. You want to talk about putting our national security at rest, at risk. Yeah, you, you try to invalidate the results of elections in states that your guy lost. Now, again, it's not going to happen. Some people aren't going to like that, but that's the reality. It's not going to happen. My prediction is the Supreme Court isn't going to touch this, just like federal judges aren't touching this a- at all. But if it were to happen, I mean, I'm telling you, for all the Trump supporters that are pushing this, for those 106 Republicans that signed on to this, be careful what you wish for, because if it happens, this country is in a heck of a mess. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are back. Let me tell you about a guy named Brandon Bernard. If you have not heard this story, I won't bury the lead. Brandon Bernard was executed last night. And if you look at all the mainstream media outlets, you will. Here's the headline in USA Today. Despite national outcry, Brandon Bernard dies by lethal injection. The ninth federal execution. Uh, Wall Street Journal. Brandon Bernard executed despite protests. The Washington Post. Trump administration executes Brandon Bernard. Plans four more executions. Of course, that's got to be the Trump administration. Um, all right. Who is Brandon Bernard, and why was he executed? Well, here here is the deal. In 1999, at the age of 18, Brandon Bernard was a gang member. What happened is that he, together with three or four other people, members of the gang, carjacked a young couple, Todd and Stacy Bagley, Todd Bagley was a youth minister in Texas. Uh, the gang members, apparently, um, what what they did is they 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 stopped. Um, they approached him to ask for a ride to their their uncle's house. At that point in time, three of the guys forced the Bagleys into the trunk at gunpoint. They robbed them, and then they drove around town. This would be the gang members, including. 
including Bernard. They drove around town pulling money out of ATMs with Todd Bagley's credit cards. So they, they come up, they say, hey, can you give us a ride? And then they carjack him. At gunpoint, they force he and his young wife into the trunk. They then drive around. They've robbed him. They then drive around um, emptying out his ATM cards. Now, while this is going on, the Bagleys are in the trunk, and they are begging for mercy. This thing goes on. This carjacking goes on for eight or nine hours. Right? This couple is in the trunk of their car. Can you imagine the horror of this? So then ultimately what happens is they drive the car into a remote area um, of a federal military installation, Fort Hood. So they're, they're in the middle of nowhere, trees, etc., etc. By this time, the Bagleys, husband and wife, are begging and pleading for their life. At this point in time, a co-defendant pulls out his gun and shoots both of them, the husband and the wife. The husband dies as a result of the gunshot wound. The wife is still alive. They lock them again in the trunk, and then what happens is Brandon Bernard takes lighter fluid, douses the car in lighter fluid, and sets it on fire. So the the wife, um, Stacy is her name, she dies, I mean, she's been shot, but she dies of smoke. She, she's burned alive. Let me just let that linger again. She's burned alive. So this young couple, I, mean, if, I, I guess it's possible to construct more of a horror story as to how they, they died, but I, I don't know how. I mean, I, I guess you know, theoretically there's worse things they could do. They're carjacked. They're terrorized. They're put in the trunk of a car. They're driven around, held hostage for seven, eight, nine hours. They are pleading for their lives. And at the end of the day, these animals, yes, these animals, shoot them. She's still alive. And Brandon Bernard lights the car on fire, and she burns to death. All right? He's he's now 40. Um, He was convicted in 2000 of two counts of murder and other offenses. He was sentenced to, to death. He's been on death row for, again, 20 years. He's exhausted all his appeals. There is no question of his guilt, by the way. I mean, he, there's no question. of his, He did it. This isn't like they got the wrong guy. He, he did it. Now, his defense is that he shouldn't be executed. And by the way, Kim Kardashian, of all people, she was leaning on the president. You, you, should, you should commute his sentence or pardon him or change it to uh, life in prison. The, the arguments are... You shouldn't execute him because he was 18 at the time. He was not the guy that shot them, although he was the guy that doused the car in lighter fluid and then set the car on fire. Um, The prosecutor and five of the jurors now support clemency 20 years later, and he spent two decades in prison without a write-up helping at-risk youth. Okay, so that, that's that's the big argument. Hey, it's been 20 years. Um, you know, he, he wasn't the one that shot him. He's just the one that burned them to death. Um, and he was only 18. And I guess the other argument that's kind of emerging is he was part of a gang, but he wasn't at the top of the gang hierarchy. He was closer to the bottom of it. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, last evening, Brandon Bernard was executed despite protests. Oh, 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 let's just, let's not execute him. I don't know about you, but I would like to discuss this. I have no problem with what happened last night at all. 
I and if you know if, if I were one of the people that were there as one of the witnesses, I would sleep just fine in a situation like this. The mother of the um, I think it's it's the mother of, of Todd. That was the the youth minister. Um, here's what she says. She says this senseless act of unnecessary evil was premeditated and had many opportunities to be stopped at any time during a nine hour period. This was torture as they pleaded for their lives from the trunk of their car. Please remember the lives of the family and friends that were shattered. We have all grieved 21 years waiting for justice to be served. So the the mother of the the victim, the mother of Todd, the youth minister, she she's like I, this, this is justice. I and I've been waiting 21 years for it. 855-616-1620 that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I have no problem with the death penalty in this case at all. This was an incredible act of unspeakable violence, cruelty. To me, it showed a depraved mind. And, and yeah, maybe maybe he's been a wonderful human being for the last 20 years, but I'm sorry. I think there are things you can do that justify the ultimate penalty. I would have no, I have no trouble with this result, and I would have had no trouble being there and watching this. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Number of people are asking a very good question: What happened to Brandon Bernard's co-defendants? Um, the co-defendant who was involved in the the shooting, the guy who shot the two people before Bernard lit the car on fire with them in it. Um, he was executed two months ago. So he was convicted and received the death penalty. The other co-defendants, the two not directly responsible for either the shooting or, uh, again, the lighting the car or killing the, peop- the killing the woman by virtue of setting the car on fire, they were all convicted. They received lesser sentences. None of those three did not get the death penalty because they were not the ones that either shot him or set the car on fire when the woman was alive in it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Joe on the northwest side. Joe, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. Yes. How's it going? Good. What do you think? So the last. I'm a second shifter, so the last story I clicked on, I'll check Yahoo News before I go to bed. So the last story I clicked on was this one on Yahoo News. I forget who the source was, but they had him looking like this poor, innocent little saint. Oh, my God, he didn't pull the trigger. He was just along for the ride. (laughs) Now I wake up and, and turn on your show. The first thing I do when I start working at home, and I got the whole other side of the story, and I felt like such a felt like such a fool. I was feeling sorry for this kid last night, and now he's in rotten hell. <laughs> well, th- thanks for the call. Well, I mean, I, I'm making no judgment about eternal life, but but yeah, you you look at the pictures of this, and oh, right, and and again, he's he's now 40 years old, and I, I was looking at the story, and it's like, well, he's you know he, he's never been able to actually interact with his his children. You know, he's had to see them behind glass windows and things like that, and and yes, and he's, he's had a, he's been wonderful these last twenty years and stuff. But yeah, if you don't know what he did, no, he wasn't the shooter. No, he wasn't the shooter. He's the guy that burned the car, bur- set the car on fire, had the woman l- locked in the trunk, who then burnt, who then you know died. I mean, I, I guess there's worse ways to die. I mean, I, I'm trying to think. Dying trapped in a trunk of a burning car has to be. If you're trying to figure out one of the top two or three ways that you do not want to die, 
I got to believe that that would be one of them. Um, Jeff, if anyone deserves a death penalty, he would be among that group. I disagree with Trump on many issues, but not this one. It should have happened 20 years ago. Um, yeah, see, that's and a number of texters are, are making that point, And that is. I, I'm pro-death penalty in, in situations like this. Again, there's no question the guy is guilty. We're, we're not arguing with uh, who done it. His guilt is is ironclad. To me, I think, you know, one of the big arguments that people make is they say, well, the problem with the death penalty is it, it's not a deterrent. Well, one of the reasons why it's not a deterrent is the fact that it's so hit and miss in the way that it's applied. And, and I, I agree. I mean, I've always believed that justice delayed is justice denied. And I think the big fundamental question to me is not was should he have been put to death. Yeah, of course he should have been. The question is how did it take 20 years, which is one of the reasons why I think if you're really looking at criminal justice reform, and believe me, I understand I'm swimming upstream on this one. I, I understand this is not – that this is not the attitude that we have in our progressive society nowadays. But to me, I think death penalty cases should get a priority. I, I think they should get immediate review. I think they should get extensive review. I think that, you know, it, it's great to have some of the finest appellate lawyers work on these things. But I, I, I think they need to be fast-tracked. There's no reason at all that it should take 20 years to execute somebody for a crime like this. Pursue all the appeals. If you want to claim that the lawyer at trial was ineffective, that's fine. If you want to claim that the trial judge, you know, made errors, that that's fine. If you want to claim that the defendant's rights were somehow constitutional rights were somehow violated, oh, okay. Um, I'm doubt that the state could violate his rights any worse than he violated the rights of the youth minister and the wife who got thrown in the trunk of the car and then died, you know, in gunshot wounds or after being set on fire. But, but nonetheless, I have no problems with this. Okay, let's let's give people the let's give them fast track appeals. Let's make sure they got good lawyers. But at some point in time. Once you've exhausted those appeals, to have somebody sit on death row, for example, for 20 years is, you know, just I think that that's that is ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, you've got to recognize um you know this, Jeff. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Alfred Bourgeois Bourgeois is scheduled to be executed for torturing and killing his two-year-old daughter. I have no problem seeing him or Brandon Bernard put to death based on the depravity of their crimes. Um, Jeff, I'm I'm against the death penalty because of my faith. In any case, okay. Well, I I understand. There's people who have moral objections or they have religious objections. Um, I me. No problem at all. And like I say, if there were some people that had some sleepless nights because of what happened to Brandon Bernard yesterday, well, I wish you well, but I'm not one of I'm not one of you. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. I, I've said I've used this analogy before. I do believe that at some point in time, we're all called to account before a higher authority. Now, now maybe it may be the images of you, uh, you you standing at the pearly gates in front of St. Peter and you having to justify different things you did in your life. May, maybe that's not how it works. I, I don't know. Not, none of us know for sure. But I've always had that that image in my mind that, you know, when you die, you're you're standing in front of the pearly gates and there's that big book that they pull out and they say, Jeff Wagner. And they start looking and they and, and on the list, they've got all the good things that you, you've done. And then there's maybe a couple of those things you did that you're really not that proud of. And I just I've, I've always thought 
that, you know, I don't want to be standing in front of St. Peter having to try to justify certain things. Like, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the guy that walked into the, um, the mini mart and, and stole the muscular dystrophy collection jar. You know, I just, that's just one of the things that I just don't want to be standing in front of St. Peter trying to explain why I, I stole the thing from, like, the disabled people, the money. Well, here's another one of these stories. This is out of Shorewood. And by the way, we're going on two weeks now and Shorewood police still have not figured out who carjacked or tried to carjack uh, former county executive Chris Abley. This is a scary thing, by the way. I mean, you just talk about the out-of-control violence around here. If somebody like Chris Abley can be a victim, 7 o'clock at night on essentially the main intersection in Shorewood, it, it tells you how dangerous it is just all over. And it's, I admit, I'm kind of surprised it's been two weeks and still they haven't figured out who did it, because you know people know who it was that did it. In any event, in Shorewood, there's this family that um, they're, they're big into decorations. And so what they did is they um, they had this big decorative, it's an inflatable, it's Santa riding a unicorn. It's this big inflatable thing with like a big arch and stuff. There, there's a picture of it. Uh, the Journal Sentinel actually has a picture of it. And it I kind of like it. It's the sort of thing that if we tried to put it up at my house, my wife would give me that look that you get all the time, like, okay, Jeff, really? What is, so some people might look at it and think it's a little bit tacky. I think it's kind of cool. But it, it's a fun thing for the spirit of Christmas, okay? Well, apparently, a couple nights ago, somebody goes by and rips it off. They, they steal this big inflatable Santa and a rainbow and a unicorn and things like that. They, they steal it. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, why do you steal something like this? I mean, it, it's not like if you're from a surrounding neighborhood, you're going to be able to, uh, you're not going to be able to put it up because people are going to know that, hey, that's, that was ours. You know, we, we stole it from a few blocks. I mean, you, you're stealing it just to be mean is what you're doing. And it's one of those things where, I mean, I, I understand it's not murder. You know, it's not a capital crime, but it's one of those little things. All you're doing is doing it to be mean. You're doing it to be hurtful. You're doing it to deprive some other people of some joy. And I look at it and I think, man, that's just the kind of thing that whatever happens in this world, that's not the kind of thing that I want to be standing in front of St. Peter as he's looking through that book and saying, huh, December 8th, you're the guy that stole all those Christmas decorations. And that's kind of when the trap door just opens up. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I've been waiting all day to discuss this particular topic with you. Now, one of the things that, that is interesting to me is that anytime you want to criticize now somebody from the left, the, the response is, well, Trump did it. Trump did it. Trump did it. This is all Trump's fault. I mean, yesterday we were talking about the the investigation into Hunter Biden and, and his taxes. And this is one where, from my perspective, I, I can't win because they talk about that. And people on the one side say, oh, now you're finally discussing it. If, if we would have explored the Hunter Biden thing before the election, that would have changed the election. No, I don't think it would have. Then the flip side of it is, well, how dare you talk about Hunter Biden? And don't, don't you realize that Trump's a crook and Trump's kids might be a crook and... 
And I, to which my response is, if that's the case, they deserve to be investigated. I, I don't know about the Hunter Biden sort of situation. To me, I, I've always thought he was kind of a loser and an influence peddler who in 2017, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to various tax things, suddenly found his way into big type of money. And my, I think he was he's probably a grifter who used his family name to um, get money that he wasn't otherwise entitled to. And, I, and if that's the case and he cheated about it on his taxes, and stuff he deserves to be prosecuted that the ties to his dad and i understand some people see him i think that's much more difficult matter of fact i think at this point it's non-existent but i've got no love for for the kid but but that's one of these things where if you want to talk about hunter biden it's just we're, we're completely and totally split and and that's one of the examples well trump did this trump did that so anything goes there, there's a statewide story that plays out about this there's a a woman her name is Francesca Hong. She has just been elected to the state legislature out of Madison. She represents maybe the most liberal district in the state, maybe one of the most liberal districts in the, the country. This is this is the, the isthmus down in, 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 in Madison. Um, the former state representative who I think was Chris Taylor, she got appointed by Evers to be a circuit court judge. So there was a seven or eight way primary and, and this woman won. Her background is that she's her and her husband are, are restaurant owners. They run a, a ramen restaurant like in, in, in this district, I think. And she was, I'd say she's in her early 30s. That's my sense. She could be a little bit younger. She could be a little bit older. But that, that's essentially this, uh, what she is. And, and she came out of a seven-way primary in one of the most democratic, maybe the most democratic district in the state. And once she won, she was pretty much of a lock to win. So she's going to be, she says she is the first um, Asian American elected to the state legislature. Her parents were immigrants who came to this country in 1990. So in many respects, it's a success story. And the issue isn't her politics. She's way, 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 far to the left. But that's okay. That's what you would expect from the district. The problem is that the woman is a complete and total loose cannon. For example, during the campaign, um, and this was while she was running. She was once she got the nomination, she was never in danger of losing. But she gets mad at the tavern league, so she sends out a tweet. And I'm going to, I'm going to read this in in part. She says, "Please note that the corrupt, crooked," and then she uses the c word. Now, th- th- this is, I, I I think for most people that is not a word that is in your vocabulary, and it's certainly not a word that you write and that you send out on tweets, but this is what she does. Please note that the corrupt, crooked, C-word, at the Tavern League do not represent the interests of all bars and restaurants. Since March, I have pleaded that we need united messaging, a plan and policy in place to protect health and local economy. We still have neither. Okay, so she's unhappy with the the Tavern League, and that's all well and good. But she uses, now this is a woman who's, at this time, she's running for the legislature. He's going to be in the legislature using a, a word that my guess is you wouldn't, you wouldn't use, and my guess is you wouldn't put in tweets, and that you certainly wouldn't want your children using. But okay, she does that. And this, it generated some controversy, and um, then there were some people in Madison who uh, were, were trying to justify this because at the same time, that word apparently was uttered by somebody in a city council meeting, and people were all offended by that, and they were trying to figure out who said it. And it was a legitimate thing. But at the same time, if you're going to be offended when somebody in the background of the city council uh, meeting 
says it. Is it is it acceptable for this woman to say it? Okay, well, she's back in the news. She is unhappy with U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. And I understand that Ron Johnson has become a controversial and somewhat polarizing figure based on his position on election fraud and some of the issues and positions he's taking with regard to alternative remedies for COVID-19. Okay, so, I, so I get that. So she sends out a tweet uh, yeah, she sends out a tweet, I think yesterday is when this came out. And, and this is in sort of in the same tone, except now that she's been elected. Um, she says, she's referring to Senator Johnson. She says, this delusional scum continues to crawl further into 45s. That would be President Trump. He's the 45th president. This delusional scum, referring to Senator Johnson, continues to crawl further into 45s And then she makes an anatomical reference that, once again, I can't say on the radio. And my guess is that you probably would not want your kids saying it. Okay, that uh, this delusional scum continues to crawl further into 45's blank. Instead of representing the people of Wisconsin who need survival checks and relief, the last time I spoke to his office, his staff assured me that they would need more than provide lip service. This ain't it. Okay. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question. Is is this has this become acceptable? And and again, whether to me this isn't an issue of whether you're on the right or or the left. But do we have a right to expect more from our elected officials than language like this and references like this? And for everybody on the left, who has been complaining for the last couple years about how unpresidential Donald Trump was. Can you believe that he said this? And look at how he referred to women and all these things. And and, and expressing what I think was, I, I hope, genuine outrage. It's, it's some of the stuff. And I get it. I, I understand that. Has this now become the, the new normal? Are there, are there no standards? And again, I don't... It's... I guess the question is just how the public reacts to it. Is this the new standard that there are there are no limits? Public officials, you use any language you want. I mean, they're they're printing. I, I'm looking at this. These stories I have come out of the out of the newspapers. We're now because they're quoting her. We're now printing. You know these words which in the past would would never appear like in mainstream newspapers and stuff like that. Are are we normalizing this, or is it right to simply say to still be able to say, you know what, this goes too far. That that this is, we need to get away from the coarseness. And and if you were offended by Donald Trump or pretended to be outraged, and you're not offended by this, then I guess my question is, were you really offended at all? Or was it just because he wasn't your guy? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I just think this is this is shameful. And I, I cringed when President Trump said some of the things that he said over the last couple years. And now you have... Some people, including some elected officials in Wisconsin, who've decided to ratchet it up two or three notches. Is this where we are and will this where we will? Is this where we're going to be? Or can people of goodwill on both sides of the issue just take a step back and say, you know, we we can convey our dismay with Senator Johnson without calling him delusional scum who has crawled up, you know, President Trump's fill in the blank. Or, I don't like what the Tavern League has done. They're nothing but conniving. And then a word that I would never use on the air, off the air, period. 
and that most of you wouldn't, and if you most of you heard it, particularly females, you would be offended by it, and you should be. 855-616-1620. We discuss next. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Let's uh, do a couple couple uh, texts before we go to uh, the phones. Uh, Jeff, I'm very troubled by our elected officials using social media apps like Twitter, etc., and not using them in a responsible fashion. To me, it seems that this is official correspondence, and it seems like we're getting close to where we need to regulate social media. Jeff, um, we do not have a right. We do not have a right, but we have a duty to expect more professional behavior from our elected officials. Just because this behavior has been accepted by Trump supporters doesn't make it right for the left to start to mimic it. It is unacceptable, and I want to be perfectly clear when I say this is not acceptable by any party and that the world is watching and we've become a joke. It is unacceptable that our standard for elected officials have become to be the loud drunk at the end of the bar. Jeff, unfortunately, the left has figured out that they can say absolutely everything, anything, and there will be no um, repercussions. Jeff, how are you offended by her tweets and you aren't ashamed by Trump? He has set the example that this is acceptable. Unfortunately, this is where we are. See, now I get it. That That's the argument that's out there. Trump, 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 Trump. Trump said this. Trump said that. So that means if we've got a state representative that wants to call Ron Johnson, well, despicable scum and words we can't say on the radio or use a word that I think everybody would agree is unacceptable in society and use that in reference to the Tavern League, well, it's okay because... We had Trump. Can't, can't we have higher standards? Jeff, if you're a Democrat, you can get away with everything. Different standards for the rest of this. Um, Jeff in Fox Point says there needs to be some consistent standards. Jeff, this is embarrassing. She's an elected representative, and Senator Johnson is an elected representative. Both should treat one another with respect, even if they disagree with one another. The left has been crying about Trump dividing us for the past four years, but this is polarizing at its best. Jeff, I'm a Democrat. I have to say she sounds like a total loser. Couldn't we get somebody better than her to serve in our state? You know, what What a shame. Um, yeah. Jeff, thanks for bringing up the topic. I'm appalled to hear this. You're exactly correct. I'm not approved, but it, but I absolutely think that there needs to be a level of decorum in public st- service. I would be so embarrassed if my children overheard this. I have no respect for a person and it has nothing to do with their politics. 855-616-1620. Right. And, and that's, that, that is my point. I don't care. You want, you want to criticize Ron Johnson? Uh, go ahead. All right. But, but can't you do it without, you know, calling him what she calls him and using that language. You want to criticize the Tavern League, that, that's fine. Where, where are the feminists out there who, you know, you, you use that word, and I think, generally speaking, pretty much every woman and a lot of men are offended by this, but you know, this is just apparently, this this is normal for this, and th- this is now, is this where we really want politics to go? Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Love your show. Thank you. Yes. Um, this is my point. Professionalism, regardless of your walk of life, needs to be held to a higher standard. Right. Um, whether you're in politics or you're, you're serving, you know, Big Macs at McDonald's, that kind of language is completely unacceptable. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, interesting. Well, Philly, hang on, because I may have a text here who says, Jeff, if I were to use this language, I'd get fired on the spot because my employer would view this as disrespectful. Are her constituents unwilling to tolerate her language or do they egg it on? Yeah, th- that's a very interesting point, Julie. Let, let's, oh, okay, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm on the radio, so if I were to use that word on the radio, there'd be all these repercussions. But think about a workplace. If, if if you walked into a workplace and referred to one of your coworkers, you know, as as, as using the, the the word, the anatomical word she used, or like she described uh, Ron Johnson, you, you'd get fired. That that's just the bottom line. Your employer would say, "Hey, you you can't talk to your coworkers like this. This is a hostile workplace." Boom, you'd be gone. But we're supposed to tolerate it because she's a, a left wing representative out of Madison. That that's I guess that's the problem I have with this. And you know, I don't want to spend another two years, Julie. You know, dealing with out of control politicians who can't control their mouths. I totally agree with you, Jeff. It's unacceptable, period. That kind of language should not be tolerated as a professional, no matter where you're at. Yeah, thanks for the call. I appreciate And I guess that, that's that that's the bottom line of all this. Now, may, maybe it's a generational thing, okay? Maybe this is, and again, I, I think she's in her early 30s. She could be in her late 20s or whatever. Maybe this is just a generational thing. Hey, I'm from Madison. This is just how we talk. You know, this, this is this is just, and, and Jeff, you're the, this old white guy, you know, you, you how dare you be offended if I want to call people, you know, all these various names. Now, don't you do it because we'll all be appalled and you'll be labeled as misogynistic and stuff, but I can say whatever I want. Now, maybe that is this generational thing that's out there, but I, I sure as heck hope not. Um, Jeff, political representatives are a f- reflection of their constituents. Look at the political dialogue that is occurring on social media daily. It's disgusting, to say the least. We shouldn't be surprised when our representatives start using the same language and childish behavior. If we want our representatives to act more maturely, we, the people, must start doing so first. Well, I think there is an element to that. Uh, Jay in Shorewood. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, Jeff. Just Hi. wanted to weigh in. Uh, I'm a liberal, proud of it, and uh, angry, and I probably feel uh, some of those words oftentimes, mm-hmm. but it's inappropriate for our public officials to use them. And to me, it it just invalidates their message. I when I read a tweet that has that language or hear that message, I just that I, I ignore it after that. It, yeah. It, uh, Can't we be better than this? And, and again, I, I mean, look, and I, I understand and somebody who's for, we spent the last four years saying, you know, did you see what the president tweeted out or did you see what he said or this or, or that or the other thing? And I and then I have people from the left who, you know, who are genuinely I think appalled by that, and they say this is unpresidential, et cetera. And I understand the point that they're having, but but now now you you get it from the other side. I just I, I we've had such a coarsening of the dialogue that it's just it's disappointing to me, Jake. I I agree, Jeff. And uh, finally, you and I agree on something. <laughs> there you go. But uh, good. Oh, good. Thank you. Well, yeah, Headed in the wrong direction. Yeah, th- thanks for calling. And again, look, I, I, I'm not saying that she doesn't have every right to criticize the Tavern League or to rip Ron Johnson for that. That's that's all well and good. But do we are, are we normalizing this this type of language in these things? And is there absolutely no accountability? And and, and th- this is a woman who's not even in office yet. 
I mean, this, but, but again, I, I guess if you, you know, say what she says about the tavern leg and she ends up, you know, getting elected with 88% of the vote. Uh, and so, so now it's just like, okay, just Katie bar the door. Anything you want to say is fine. And this plays out to a degree in Congress too. There's members of the, the squad that use the, this type of stuff. Again, words that you can't say on TV or the radio or, you know, at Summerfest in Milwaukee, all these different types of things. And I guess I just look at it and I just want to bang my head and say, can't we be better? I mean, can't we? I understand we're going to disagree and I understand that we're going to fight tooth and nail and things, but do we, do we have to do this? And is this the type of person that we're really proud of to have representing you? And that's a fair question for people in, uh, at the, in the Isthmus in Madison. Is, is this the type of person that you're proud to have representing you? Huh. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, let's see what her parents think of this. I'm Asian American. If my mother heard I was saying these things, I wouldn't hear the end of it. Woo. It's funny that the, the texture would make that point. I have a very, very dear friend. Her name is Sue. She's a, a, an attorney in Wisconsin, but she is she's Vietnamese, second generation. Her mom worked for the U.S. government in um, Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And right before the fall of Saigon, the, the government brought her entire family over her mother and father just delightful just delightful people i love having the opportunity to spend time with them but um yeah i'm trying to picture if my friend sue were to use that type of language in front of her vietnamese mom trust me i I don't think it would be i don't think it would be a pretty sight at all i have a text here from uh jeff playley who was a a vanishing breed jeff was a state senator and uh, a democrat but he was a moderate democrat and unfortunately you know moderate democrats have have no spot in the republic in the democratic party anymore and just like you might argue that republic moderate democrat moderate republicans have no role in the republican party anymore but anyhow here's the text from jeff he says when sue jeskowitz jeff stone and who was a republican and i were in the legislature we formed the civility caucus and we called out this kind of stuff i think we got a lot accomplished hopefully she will learn yeah that that's the type of thing it shouldn't be a newspaper reporter having to call up somebody and say hey what do you think about this you, you would think that maybe Democrats, Republicans, whatever, would say, you know, we, we need to be better than this. And when you open your potty mouth and you say stuff like this, it reflects on all of us. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay. Uh, A couple matters of business to take care of. First, all week long, we've been doing our our Jeff Wagner kind of holiday wish list here, sponsored by our friends at Cedar Crest Ice Cream. And what we've been doing is every day we've been on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. We've been putting up different confections, holiday-related things that you can make with Cedar Crest Ice Cream. And um, we've been giving you an opportunity to participate and guess how much the item would cost. All told, today is the last day, and as a matter of fact, we close it at 2 o'clock. So if you want to participate, you want to play, you have until 2 o'clock, go to our Facebook page. And today, 
We're asking the cost of the ingredients for the candy cane shakes, Cedar Crest ice cream, peppermint stick ice cream, a little milk, peppermint abstract, abstract, candy canes, whipped cream to top. You can leave your comment by 2 p.m. The person that comes closest to the cost of the ingredients without going over gets a gift certificate to Cedar Crest ice cream. And I certainly appreciate our folks, our friends at Cedar Crest ice cream sponsoring this little feature all week. It's been, uh, it's been fun. All right. In addition, speaking of fun, matter of fact, my wife called me this morning and said, some friends of ours are participating in this. All right, how can you celebrate the holidays with WTMJ this year? Now, in years past, we have done, for the last, I want to say, four years, we, we've done holiday Christmas shows, and we've sold tickets, and the proceeds go to support Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. The first three years, I think we did it at um, Turner Hall, and then last year we did it at the Italian Community Center. This year, we're not doing it in person. Uh, we, we do have a Christmas show that's going to air over the holidays. It's a, We've done a, a play, but it's not the same. I mean, it, I'm, sh- I hope, I'm sure it's going to be funny. Hope it's great. But it's, it's not the same as doing it in front of a live audience. And candidly, I'm bummed out. I think a lot of my colleagues are bummed out that we're not doing it. But but here's, here's what we're trying to do. We want to do something so we can interact with, with you. And so this year... We're doing our virtual holiday trivia night, benefiting Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland. All right, now, this is over Zoom. And I understand some people here, oh, it's over Zoom. I don't want to do that stuff. Trust me, this this is going to be fun. It's going to be next Wednesday night. It's December 16th. And a number of the WTMJ personalities are going to be participating. There's questions, and you have a chance to win. First prize, I think, the, the winner gets an Aaron Rodgers autographed mini helmet. Second prize gets a Craig Council autographed baseball, I believe, and third prize gets a WTMJ uh, prize pack. So it's going to be something fun. The tickets are five bucks. Tickets are five bucks, but we're limiting them to 80 people. So once they're gone, they're gone. Um, you can go to WTMJ.com. You'll see the holiday trivia thing. You can click on it. Um, and again, we're once once they're gone, they're gone. It's next Wednesday night, and uh, we won't cur- I think it's going to be a lot of fun, but it is limited to 80 fans and listeners. It's WTMJ's virtual holiday trivia night, benefiting Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland, sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc. Again, uh, if you're good at the holiday trivia, and I have not seen the questions, don't don't know what the questions are going to be. Our program director, I think, has been working with our marketing folks, and they'll have them. So it's going to be a surprise to everybody. But, hey, you can participate. You can have a little bit of fun. We'll enjoy ourselves. And for 5 bucks, you got a chance to win an Aaron Rodgers autographed mini helmet or a Craig Council autographed ba- baseball. doesn't get much better than that. And, by the way, the 5 bucks goes to a good cause. How cool is that? All right. Let us talk for a minute about Wauwatosa. Wauwatosa is, I, I like Wauwatosa. It's a, it's a great, great community. And, it, and it's sort of an interesting community as well. It's very, very politically divided. The east side of Wauwatosa tends to be extremely liberal. Uh, a lot of people from Milwaukee who've kind of like moved out. The west side of Milwaukee tends to, of Wauwatosa tends to be extremely conservative. You've got some very, very nice um, neighborhoods that are there. You've got what I would describe as a thriving downtown area. But in part because, and then you've got the, you know, the, the north part of Wauwatosa where you've got Mayfair Shopping Center. It's a very diverse sort of community with diverse uh, interests and things like that. Also, because of its proximity to Milwaukee, you have, um, I, I think, uh, you have a, a lot of the 
for example, like the social justice protesters, you know, from Milwaukee, it's easy to go out in Wauwatosa and, pro- and, and protest and do things like that. Now, Wauwatosa has been a hotbed of protest for the last several months. We all know the story. There was the now um, former Wauwatosa police officer, Joseph Mensa, who was involved in shooting a 17-year-old at, at Mayfair Mall. A lot of protests. People tried to shut down Mayfair Mall. You had a handful of protesters that used to storm over and shut down the Cheesecake Factory. It probably came to a head when, and it's it's essentially the same group of protesters. We're not talking about a lot of people. It, it's a relative. We're talking dozens, not hundreds. But you know they've been very very vocal in efforts to try to shut down Wauwatosa. You've had protests outside the mayor's house in the middle of the night. You know things like that. Well, a couple months ago, of course, after the district attorney said he wasn't going to issue charges against the officer, you had a number of people that took to the street and learning something from what happened in Kenosha, Wauwatosa was ready. There was a massive police presence that was there, Wauwatosa police augmented by other area police departments and the National Guard. Authorities, in my opinion, did a great job of not allowing Wauwatosa to burn like Kenosha burned. Now, some people didn't like it. Oh, this is like a police state, et cetera, et cetera. Well, okay, I, I think that's a superior alternative to having houses and businesses destroyed and millions of dollars worth of damage done. All right, there's two stories that I, I think may be related, but nobody has connected them yet. Now, the story you're hearing reported is that, you know, Wauwatosa police were involved in a shooting last night. Apparently about 9.30 at night, Wauwatosa police responded to Harwood Avenue, which is sort of like the downtown area of of Wauwatosa, about 9.30 at night because there was a report that one woman was violently attacking another woman. So an officer shows up, and again, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know who this particular officer was. I think it was a female. I'm sure she gets this call going, oh, great, this is just what I want to do. So the officer found the suspect nearby. This would be the woman who's accused of attacking someone else around the intersection of Harwood and Underwood Avenues and State Street, where an altercation occurred. That would be an altercation between the woman and the police officer. Ultimately, shots were fired by the responding officer. The woman was taken to the hospital to be treated by her for her injuries. And again, you had you had the police to then start to investigate. The I, I don't know if this is the usual group of protesters, but all of a sudden, within a very very brief period of time, you have all sorts of protesters that defend. Nobody knows what happened here. Nobody knows the background. But if you look at the video, you have again a relatively small group of people who have rushed out to protest. I guess the police and their response to this. Um, by 11.30, about 30 protesters had gathered. Some were yelling and chanting at about 15 officers who lined up on the other side of the police tape, to which my response is, what are you yelling and chanting about? I mean, this is, it's like, okay, this thing just happened. Nobody knows any of the details. Apparently, there were rumors that the woman was involved with the protest groups. The police at this point in time say they don't think that happened. I, I, I don't know the case, but I do think it's interesting that, okay, this, you have an incident between a person and the, and the police, and immediately you, you, you just wonder if there's this alert system that goes out. Hey, the police are out on the streets. Let's go out and protest. All right, there's another story that's not getting as much attention, though, that happened a little bit earlier in the evening in Wauwatosa, and I'm not 
I'm not sure if these are related or not, because a number of the protesters were in Wauwatosa last night because last night was when the people who had received tickets during the course of the unrest, you know, a month or two ago, um, they'd gotten tickets for disorderly conduct or violating the curfew order, et cetera, et cetera. They were in court that this was their initial appearance. They showed up with one of the lawyers for the, the family um, and the, so you get in front of a court commissioner and who's then, again, handling these cases. So people have gotten the tickets. What happened, apparently, is that the protesters, or at least a good number of the protesters who've gotten the tickets, have collectively decided that they're going to fight them. They're, they're not going to plead guilty. They're going to challenge them. And so they were in court. Um, there was an attorney representing at least some of them who kept making constitutional arguments, at which point in time the, the, the presiding officer said, no, no, this isn't the time for, for this. It's only to decide, are you going to plead guilty or not guilty? And then we'll set a, a trial date or a date for further proceedings, and you'll have the opportunity to make your constitutional arguments then. But for right now, plead guilty or not guilty, and some of them were refusing to do that, so the court commissioner then started entering not guilty pleas on people's behalf. But the, the bottom line is, all these folks, or at least a good number of folks who got the tickets for, again, violating the curfew or things like that, they, they're going to fight it. And so now the city, and so I wonder whether, whether this, whether, you know, this altercation they're talking about, was it somebody that earlier in the evening, you know, might have been at City Hall? Is that where the rumors got started, that it was a protester? You know, what was going on? Because there were a number of the protesters who have been charged who, who were together. That'll all sort out. But right now, Wauwatosa has a decision to make. People are apparently going to fight the tickets. So now they have to decide, are they going to try to enforce these tickets? The people that were out after curfew that... Um, in many cases, I think we're asked to leave and decided not to leave. Um, they're going to fight them. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This will be an incredible effort of taxpayer resources to prosecute the people who got tickets. Now, make no about, bones about it, because everybody has the right to demand a separate hearing. This means police officers are going to be called. This means the city attorney's office is going to have to be involved. This means there's going to be you know lengthy hearings and motions and things like that. My question is this. Should the city go ahead with this, or given the fact that the protests were a month or two ago, that there wasn't any widespread violence, that the city was successful in stopping it from, from protesters from burning it down, and the protesters would say they never had any intention to do it. That's all well and good. But should the city go ahead and pursue these tickets that were issued? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is not just yes, but heck yes. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, if you give these tickets, unless there's some problem with proof, unless the police department or whoever sees tickets determines, you know, this person really wasn't violating the curfew or we've got the wrong person or something like that. But if these were legitimately issued tickets, no way should they be dismissed. 855-616-1620. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. So, I mean, here's the idea. that The protesters in Wotos have obviously collectively decided they're not paying their tickets. They're gonna, they are going to fight them in court, which is everybody's right to do it. So now the question is, should the city of Wauwatosa cave in, or should they say, okay, fine, we're, we don't care, we're, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go to the mats on this. And my answer is, yeah, you go to the mats on this. You got the evidence that indicating that people violated the curfew. You betcha you litigate this. Um, here's some text. Jeff, heck yes, the protesters broke the law. I think they are a pain in the butt. Well, okay, if they broke the law, they, you, you don't get tickets for being a pain in the butt, although, yes, I think they are. But, yes, if you broke the law, you deserve to get tickets and you deserve to be held accountable. Jeff, pursue, pursue, pursue. To the fullest extent of the law, I think that uh, I, I won't go to Milwaukee anymore, and I think um, citizens of Wisconsin need to feel safe. Jeff, let them show up in court, plead their case. Bring evidence, bring witnesses, whatever you want to bring in order to show your innocence or lack of guilt. Everybody goes to court. Yeah. Jeff, charge them, make them pay court costs if they're found guilty. Jeff, absolutely. Fine the protesters $500 each for loitering. Order them to disperse. Actually, the uh, tickets are are $1,221 from what I understand. Now, it could be that if you wanted to negotiate a, a plea deal, my guess is that what would happen is that they'd be willing to, you know, reduce it. Kind of like if you get a traffic ticket, you can go there and you can say, okay, well, you know, here, here's the deal. How about I plead no contest or guilty to something else and it's a $500 fine instead of $1,200? Yeah, that that's fine. I guess I have no problem with that. But I don't think they should give away this case at all. Jeff, tell him to call Jay-Z. Maybe he would end up paying for it. Jeff, not only should they continue with the fines and charge them any and all court costs um, that, that are appropriate. Well, I think, you know, I think this is this is an important issue. And I, I don't think that the court system can allow itself to be bullied. And I don't think that, uh, that the citizens of Wauwatosa should allow themselves to be bullied either. If you have people, and I say if, you got to prove that people have violated the law, but if, in fact, they're guilty, if, in fact, these t- tickets were issued legitimately, if, in fact, a community has a right to impose a curfew, that's part of the issue. Oh, they put in a curfew. We don't think they should be able to do it. Well, I, I think... I think they have the right to put in a curfew, especially under these sort of circumstances, and they have the right to enforce it. And when people make the decision that they're not going to abide by that curfew, well, okay, I think that sometimes there needs to be a degree of accountability. So even if it's extensive, even if this offends some of the politically correct and the perpetually offended, I, I think I think Wauwatosa needs to go ahead with this to prove their point. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Group producing the show today and always. You are, we have established in the past, you are a professional wrestling fan. You've been known to go to some of the shows over the years, right? Yeah, two or three. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm right. It's, it's not like you're there. You know, I, I get it, but you've been known to go to the shows. Do you know who, and see, this is my hint. Do you know who Tommy Tiny Lister is, was? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with the celebrity. I, I don't know the connection to wrestling, though. Okay, well, all right. The, the reason I mentioned it, because... Uh, tiny Listers, who they called him, it was, and he's anything but tiny. He's like six nine. He started out. He was the wrestling character. He his first his first movie role 
was in the first movie, the film that the WWE ever made called No Holds Barred. And Hulk Hogan starred against, and, and the character was a character called Zeus, which, I mean, Hulk Hogan was kind of like Hulk Hogan, and Zeus was this giant, enormous guy who was the, the threat, and that was Tiny Lister. He played Zeus. And so what they did was to promote the film, they brought Lister, who was just enormous, just a, a hulk of a man, they, they brought him into the WWE, and he, he actually wrestled in a couple matches, like in 1989, he was with Randy Savage against Hogan and Brutus Beefcake, remember that name? He, so he participated in like SummerSlam, did a handful of things, and then kind of got out of the wrestling business and went in, into the movies, and you know had a, a number of roles. He's probably, besides Zeus, he's... I'm not proud I know this, by the way, but this is kind of, I mean, it's because when I first saw that the tiny Lister died, I thought, oh, the guy that played Zeus, you know, that was the character. Um, he's also known for his role as Debo in the Friday films where you know, you've seen that. Yeah, that's where I've been familiar with him. Right. But before that, he was he was this big time professional wrestler. In any event, he he, um, he was born, he was blind in one eye and that that gave him. This sort of look that you know that that the characters that that played into the characters and stuff, but he um, passed away at the age of sixty-two, I guess. Um, and again, it's it's one of the things you say the the world of professional wrestling for people who think it's glamorous. It okay. That the the bottom line is you have um, you you rarely you you have old people. And you have wrestlers, and you rarely see professional wrestlers that, that live to be older people. And, and whether it's the size of their bodies or the abuse their bodies take, but uh, Tiny Lister was 62 years old when he ended up passing away. Okay. We have discussed this a couple times since March. Over the course of the last nine months, there's been a, a number of businesses that have really struggled. Restaurant industry has struggled. Lots of lots of businesses have have found whether the supply chains are screwed up or, or whatever. They found that their 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 businesses has struggled. And and let's face it, lots of consumers have pulled back a lot. People lost their jobs. People maybe had to take pay cuts, all this degree of uncertainty, less consumer spending. So that's been driving a number of things. And a lot of industries and a lot of businesses, you know, haven't haven't been selling stuff. If you make Clorox wipes, you're doing fine. If you make toilet paper, you're, you're doing fine. But a lot of other, if you, um, if you uh, run a liquor store, you're probably doing fine. One of the other industries that is taking off is the firearms industry. And I know we've discussed this in different contexts before, but there's a story that appeared yesterday in the Chicago Tribune, and and, and these are the most recent numbers for Illinois, but it's no different in Wisconsin. I mean, I was just pulling them up. Um, I, the most recent numbers I can find in Wisconsin are about a month ago, but it, I'm sure it, it is no different. And, and here's the bottom line. Let me read you the story. This is about Illinois, but it's true in Wisconsin, too. Illinois residents shopped for more guns and applied for more firearms permits in 2020 than at any other time in history, according to statistics released Wednesday by the state police. Let let me say that again. Illinois residents, more guns, more firearm permits last year, this year, 2020, than at any other time in history. And my guess is that when you you run the final numbers in Wisconsin, you know, 20 days from now, at the end of the year, you're going to find the same thing. You're going to find more concealed carry permits issued 
this year than perhaps any other year except maybe the first year where it became available. More gun sales, more registrations. I, I just think it's it's clear. What you have is that people, for whatever reason, are deciding if you've never owned a gun before, I think people are running out and they're buying guns. I think people that have owned guns or do own guns, I think they're going out and buying new guns. There's a lot of stuff going on. Number one, I think it is uncertainty about uh, the, all the, the different degrees of civil unrest that, that are out there. I think that's working on people's minds. Number two, I think, especially earlier in the year, it was it was concerns about COVID. You know, are we going to get to a point where we have all these shortages and the shortages become so extreme that people are going to take to the streets and civilian authority isn't going to be able to control things and we'll have people breaking in and looting to steal toilet paper from people's houses. So I think it's that. I think the election of Joe Biden, and I'm not saying I believe that this is accurate, but I think the election of Joe Biden um, makes some people uncomfortable that maybe this is going to lead to, especially if the Democrats take control of the U.S. Senate, maybe this is going to lead to more restrictions on on firearm ownership. I don't consider Joe Biden to be particularly anti-Second Amendment in the fashion that a lot of perhaps other people who were trying to become the president were. But nonetheless, I, I think there's there's probably some concern like that out there. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. One, one segment, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you considered or have you actually purchased a firearm this year, 2020? And if so, why? What What is, and I'd be particularly interested in talking to first-time gun buyers, people who uh, hadn't purchased a gun before but this year decided to go out and, and to buy one. Or if you are a gun owner and you've bought more, why are you doing that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And one of the interesting side effects of of the increase in firearm sales is you, you talk to some people, and in some areas, ammunition for certain types of firearms, very, very difficult to find. 855-616-1620. Have you purchased a gun? Are you considering purchasing a gun? Why? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Who shows up at your house on Christmas morning? It's Santa. What do you get in your stocking if you were naughty? Oh, I know. Uh, Cole. How can you celebrate the holidays with WTMJ this year? WTMJ Virtual Holiday Trivia Night. Don't miss this exclusive chance to Zoom with your favorite WTMJ hosts. Tickets are available now at WTMJ.com. WTMJ Virtual Holiday Trivia Night. Benefiting Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland. Sponsored by Professional Construction Inc. For more information, head to WTMJ.com. And by the way, tickets, they're five bucks. So it's five bucks. The proceeds go to Capco. It's going to be a lot of fun. First prize in the trivia contest is going to be an autographed Aaron Rodgers mini helmet. Second prize is going to be an autographed Craig Council baseball. So check it out. It's five bucks. Um, we only have room for 80 people. Once that fills up, well, it filled up. Gentlemen, this year has made everybody want to stay in bed, so why not dream a little dream with the one you love? Kickstart some romance this Christmas with the new Midnight Fantasy Pajamas from our friends at Pajamagram, America's PGA experts for nearly 20 years. Seductive with a hint of lace, silky and smooth to the touch, Midnight Fantasy Pajamas are a dream come true for her and you. She'll love the way they feel, and you'll both love the way they look. Warm her up and treat her to the ultimate fantasy with Midnight Fantasy Pajamas. Check them out at pajamagram.com, and right now... 
When you order today, you get a great deal, free gift packaging. That means you do not have to wrap a thing, and that's worth its weight in gold as far as I'm concerned. Look, she's missed out on a lot this year, so give her the romance she deserves. You check these out on the website. They're actually, they really look great. Get her Midnight Fantasy Pajamas and get your free gift packaging today before the deal disappears. Just go to pajamagram.com. It's fast, it's easy, and delivery by Christmas is guaranteed. I emphasize that last part. Because you order today, delivery by Christmas is guaranteed. I don't know how much longer they're going to make that, be able to make that offer just because so many people are ordering stuff, um, again, via the internet and all that the delivery system, it's a little bit strained. But right now you order today, delivery by Christmas is guaranteed. Pajamagram.com. Do me a favor. Tell them you heard about it here. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This will be an interesting conversation. Before we go to the phones, a couple texts. Jeff, my husband and I discuss the need to purchase one or two handguns for protection. We fear that as businesses close and jobs are lost, there will be more crime. We are both essential workers, so the pandemic has not hurt us financially. And with the amount of packages arriving each week for Christmas, we fear for our kids' um, safety. Uh, let's see. 855-616-1620. Jeff, uh, this is from Leanne. I purchased a revolver this year and learned to use it. I'm a senior citizen and female. I'm concerned about the police being defunded and their ranks being reduced. I want to be able to defend my home, myself, and my pets. Uh, let's see. Jeff, while everybody else was hoarding toilet paper and sanitizer, I was hoarding ammunition. My belief is that Joe Biden will not be able to come for people's guns, although I think he'd love to, but he will be able to do is limit the amount of ammunition you can purchase to, uh, restrict your rights in that fashion. Uh, Jeff, I know a few people in Illinois that sent in for gun permits in March. They're still waiting for it. Seems like Illinois is not sending them out very fast. Jeff, I'm a strong Second Amendment supporter. I brought bought three more firearms this year. Definitely the uncertainty with riots and looting earlier this year. Um, I don't know about, and he goes on to talk about Biden as well, eight five five six one six one six twenty. All right, let's start with uh, Jim in Grafton. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, hi. I hi, listen Jim. to your show daily. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that very much. Um, the re- the reason that about this guns and ammunition is the civil unrest in this country. No one feels safe anymore. Uh, Mm-hmm. You can't find ammunition. I just drove seventy miles today to buy twenty shells. Really? What, for, um, for what, for what, type, what type for of firearm? What type of gun? What type of firearm? It was a twelve. It's a twelve gauge. Okay. Yeah. Shotgun. But I bought three guns today. Or today, I bought three guns this year myself because mm-hmm. I want to protect my family. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Biden and Harris get in, they're coming after the Second Amendment. Okay. Uh, they may not be knocking on your door to take your guns away because that's not going to happen. But they're going to try to make it so you can't buy any ammunition and you can't buy any guns. Got so it. that's why everybody is. Uh, that's why everybody's getting them. Thanks for the call. Well, I mean, I, I think there. I mean, I think there's a lot of factors that are coming on, and I, I think again, 2020 has been a year unlike any other. And I mean, I think it started with the pandemic, and people started to become concerned about. 
you know, what, what's, what's going to happen? Are we going to have riot? Are we going to have looting and things like that? Then you had a summer of social unrest and people are saying, well, what happens if you have, you know, mobs that descend on my house and try to break into that? And then I, I think clearly there, there's a, there is the Biden factor. I agree with you. I don't think Joe Biden's going to try to come and figure out a way to take away your guns, but you could certainly nibble around the edges on this. Uh, Jared in Waukesha. Jared, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? We're well, thank you. What do you think? So, yeah, I got a uh, 9mm I've had, and then the wife wanted to go out and get one, um, obviously for protection. Right. So I went and purchased one and have another one actually on rain check um, since March. And so I've heard that Smith & Wesson isn't making guns right now, which is crazy. And ammunition, good luck with that. Yeah. So, so, so you have a nine millimeter. Three eighty. Okay. What? So, what did what did you buy for your wife? Was it uh, three eighty handgun? Okay. Uh, Smith and Wesson easy and ammunition for that is impossible to find. So. Yeah. No. So yeah, that's the, it's crazy. It, no, it, it it is. So so why did you make the decision? Why did you get a firearm for your wife? Um, for the protection and sh- for her. Just ease of mind, I guess you could yeah. say. She, um, she wanted it. She wanted it for the protection, yep. And okay. I got my conceal and carry. Um, it's took the classes and everything, but, it's, you know, you're getting in a heap of trouble if something does happen. You pull the trigger, you're right. looking at 100000 in lawyer fees. So Yeah, I, I mean, th- thanks. I mean, I don't, I don't have, I mean, I, I've told this story before. Back in, in another life when I was in the attorney's office, I had a, this is before concealed carry and all, but I was because of death threats. I was I had this I had a permit to carry a gun. I was like they called me a dep, I was a deputy, a special deputy U.S. marshal. So it was the way you could carry a gun. And I did for I think a year and a half or two and a half years. I forget. You had to renew it, um, but. But, I mean, thankfully, I never had to use it. And I was never comfortable carrying the gun. I mean, it was just because it is that kind of awesome responsibility. So I own a firearm. I, I do not carry the, the firearm. I, I don't because uh, I just I guess I've never felt a need to do that. But, yeah, I, I mean, I own a firearm here. I mean, here's the other thing I say, and it is the one concern. If you make a decision that you're going to buy a gun and I, I, I and I hope first-time gun owners are, are listening if you're thinking about this you better know how to use it that 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 is the thing it's I was always a supporter of concealed carry, and I, I argued for concealed carry on this radio program for a long time. The one thing that I, I wish in Wisconsin that we did along with concealed carry is we had some degree of, of proficiency testing. Now, I understand you have to go to the classes and things like that, but if if you're going to have a gun and you're going to carry a gun, you better darn sure know how to use that gun. And like I say, when I, when I had my special deputy thing, I you had to qualify. You had to actually practice and go to the range and, and do that, uh, again, just because, to me, if you say, what's worse than not having a gun and needing it? Well, it's it's having a gun and not knowing how to use it. Let's talk to Rich on the west side. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I just want to make a comment. Uh, I, I own many, many guns, uh, handguns, rifles, shotguns. And I was telling your screener that when I was up deer hunting, um, couple of weeks ago i just went into a local hardware store to look purchase mouse traps and i saw a handgun there that i actually liked it felt real well and i bought it okay <laughs> okay and uh more to add the collection uh, guns are beautiful beautiful pieces of art and that's the way i look at them um we all know when they get into the wrong hands it's a it's a different uh issue how many firearms do you own 
How many guns do you own? Uh, I own about 25. Okay. Again, they're for, it ranged from handguns to uh, rifles. And okay. um, I do have a... Um, um, concealed carry permit. I do not take advantage of it, yeah. but I have it available that if I need it, it's it's there. Have illegally. You, yeah, have you ever used it or no? Have you ever carried concealed? I had I had uh, a few years ago. Oh. Um, I don't feel the need right now. Yeah. Now, now thanks to God. Now, again, that, that's the thing. I mean, I don't, somebody said, well, why don't you go to the classes? And, um, and it's just like, I don't. I just don't feel the need. And like I say, I was. I'm not discouraging people from doing that. Again, with, with the caveat that if you're going to do, if you're going to do that, you you better know how to use the gun. Um, it's just that I. I just. I didn't like it. I didn't like doing it when I when I did it years and years ago. And by that I mean it's just it's just such a responsibility, and you're always aware of that. And I, I'm not in a position right now where I, I think I I need to do it now. If I was in a different profession and I went different places and stuff, maybe I would rethink that and maybe I'll rethink it a year from now but right now no in any event um, th- this is this is the big story if you're looking for an industry that's really find it itself uh, found itself just overwhelmed it's it's been the firearms industry and there's a lot of reasons why it's happening and I don't candidly think I don't think it's going to slow down next year either when we come back let's find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's afternoon news